Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. I want to just take a second and, and pray, and I want to invite you to pray uh, with me uh, before we go into God's Word together today. Let's all pray. Father, we um, stop now to pray, not because uh, it's what we do at this point, but because of what we feel at this point. I know that I feel uh, great inadequacy and uh, overwhelmed by the responsibility and, and uh, very aware that um, uh, my efforts alone uh, will not be enough. Uh, simply explaining the Bible will not be uh, life transforming. And so we're uh, inviting your Holy Spirit to take your word today and uh, to uh, really change us. Give us the humility to admit where we have wrongly valued uh, things and where, where we have not wisely uh, uh, extended ourselves as you would have us. And so we just... Um, I commit this time to you. We pray that you would be about the, the, the thing you do, uh, changing people's lives for your glory. Thank you for the reminders today already of how you do that. Do it again today, that thing you do. And get glory through it for yourself alone. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Say it. Amen. Amen. All right. Well. When we have a when we have a one point message, I'm kind of fond of saying to you all that um, that doesn't mean that the message will be short. It just means that it will be really clear. And uh, the point of the message today is just simply this: um, honest hard work for fair compensation assures God will provide your needs. It's pretty straightforward, right? And uh, uh, there it is. Um, Honest hard work for fair compensation assures God will provide your needs. Let's say it together. Lift up your voice. Let's say it. Honest hard work for fair compensation assures God will provide your needs. Amen. Amen. Now, we're going to break that down in a minute. But before we do that, I have to kind of, I I know you get anxious to open your Bible. Go ahead, open your Bible to uh, Proverbs 13. That's the first place we're going to touch down. But I want to give a little bit of a backdrop of the kind of uh, series uh, that we're in right now. Um, First of all, uh, we want always, a verse that I memorized as a kid is 2 Timothy uh, 2.15, which says, a study uh, to show yourself approved to God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so study uh, means hard work. And I want to just say now that, uh, go ahead and do this uh, on all of our campuses just to bless me. Uh, Go ahead and hold up your Bible right now for a second over your head and just say, I got one, I got one, hold it up. And uh, sorry about all those phones. That's a shame that you have just a phone and don't have a real Bible. But um, I'm just kidding. I'm glad you got something that has God's word in it. And, and so now I, I need you to study with me. I need you to lean forward. I need you to, um, I need you to uh, lean in and, and uh, give your energy to this. Write some things down. Turn in your Bible. Uh, study uh, to show yourself approved to God. Show God how serious you are about this. A workman, I'm not the only workman here, we're all working on this together. A workman that just, because it's, it's shameful, 
or it's, it's, it's to be ashamed of not to apply ourselves to something so important. And then that last phrase, rightly dividing or handling, literally the original uh, language means cut it straight. And my goal in this series, pray for me that I will cut it straight, what the Bible says about money and, and everything that it says about money and just tell it like it really is. That's what it means there and that's what I'm uh, going to attempt to do. And that's why I wanted to say this next. Um, our preferred method of Bible study is what we would call exposition. That's where we take one book of the Bible, start in the first chapter, in the first verse, and go through every chapter, every verse, every word, till we get to the end. That's what we do uh, normally. That's our preferred method. But I don't want our preferred method to be something, become something sanctimonious. I have a set of volumes in my home called Great Preaching Through the Centuries. And it is, I think the last kind of person in it is Billy Graham. And it, it's staggering how many different approaches to the scriptures God has used and honored through the centuries. And we don't want to get all uppity about our uh, approach of exposition. Uh, sometimes when we don't do exposition like the Gospel of John, um, that's what I honestly prefer to be doing today, but I'm doing this to try to be a, a good a pastor to our church. Um, sometimes we do what's called topical exposition. That's where, like a, a year or so ago, we did a series on uh, the life of Paul. That was the topic, Big God, Small Me. And uh, then uh, that was kind of like topical expositional. So one week we were in Acts chapter 9 and we went through Paul's conversion. Then the next week maybe we're in 2 Corinthians 12 and we look at Paul's thorn. But still we're going through one passage. Problem... Some of the messages of the Bible and some of the subjects of the Bible don't yield to exposition or topical exposition. Some subjects in the Bible you've got to turn all over to find in places like uh, roles in marriage or gifts of the Spirit or end times. Uh, you, you have to go all through the Bible to find that stuff. Now, uh, everyone say danger. Once you're into a topical study, the danger is, is that you would start pulling verses out of context. Or, or the danger is, is that you would preach some of the verses, but not all of the verses. Or the danger is that the bias would be in the mind of the preacher, and he'd say, well, I really like these verses, we're going to study these. And, and, and so that's a danger. Somebody say, somebody say, what have you done to remedy this? <laughs> what we've done is, because I don't want that. I don't want to hijack the subject. I don't want to get steered off into my biases. So the first thing we've done is we've studied every verse in the Bible that mentions money. 2,500 some would say 2,300, you know, it depends on how you categorize it, but between 2,300 and 2,500 verses in the Bible that have something to say about money. Now, not all of those verses add value or actually give instruction about money. For example, there's uh, 73 verses that use the word shekel, okay? And uh, in Genesis chapter uh, 23 verse 15 it says that Abraham bought a piece of property and paid 400 shekels for it. Well, that's a verse about money, but it doesn't add any value or give any instruction about it. So, 
Then we'd narrowed down the 2,500 or so verses to 271 verses. Please don't call me and say it's 273. You know, you know it's, this is not an exact science, but as best we could, 271 verses. We took this very seriously. We studied them all while well, you were doing whatever y'all do. This is what I was doing. Then we started grouping the verses into categories. How many verses talk about this? How many verses talk about this? And the biggest pile uh, of verses was, uh, and that's what we're going to study today, 88 of the 271 verses uh, talk about earning it honestly. Uh, 70 of the verses talk about uh, giving it generously. Now, we've taught on that before, so we're not going to talk about that for a few weeks, but it is a big subject. Uh, 49 of the verses of the 271 are warning verses, okay? Now, this is a lot of study. I'm, not, I, I'm saying the word verses, but I really mean uh, passages, which means a verse or a group of verses. Uh, here they all are. And this doesn't happen in a few minutes, all right? And, and uh, so 49 of the verses are warning verses. You know, uh, watch out, it'll destroy you. That's so important that I'm weaving that through the whole series. Then we're going to do a whole message on it at the end. Then there's 32 verses on utilizing it effectively. That's next week. What do you do with what you have? And then uh, there are 18 verses on about approximately. Now there's, oh, everyone say there's overlap. But, but where the main focus seems to be uh, that you enjoy it carefully. God has given us all things richly to enjoy, for example. And uh, then there's uh, a substantive number. of Now look at, look at. If there was only one verse in the Bible on a subject, you better get on it. Okay? So, now um, I think we have the right categories. And so we're starting kind of with the ones that are mentioned most frequently, and we're going to go through those um, a week uh, at a time. Okay? Everybody with me? Got it? Check? All right. Method explained. Now, um, week one, we talked about it's God's money. It's a tool. It's a testimony. It's a test. Now I want to break down that phrase, honest hard work for fair compensation assures that God will provide your needs. So this is pretty easy to follow. Uh, turn over to Proverbs 13.11. Proverbs 13.11, we're going to talk about honesty. Now while you're turning there to the book of Proverbs, um, let me just say a little bit about Proverbs uh, in the study of Scripture. It's amazing how many Christians are running around with a shrapnel of Scripture, usually from a proverb, about, sometimes about money. Uh, you're dangerous. Okay, um, a couple of important points. Uh, not all scripture is the same kind of scripture. It's all given by inspiration of God, but Psalms uh, is poetry. Uh, Proverbs is what's called wisdom literature. Uh, prophetic scriptures, um, the book of Acts is narrative. It's a story being told. Uh, Galatians is epistle. It's a letter giving doctrinal instruction. Now, when you open Proverbs, you need to understand Proverbs is not promises. Okay? Uh, Solomon wrote Proverbs. He's the wisest. He's like the summa cum laude of wisdom of all time. He had more insight into human behavior than any uh, man who has ever walked this earth. Obviously discounting uh, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And Solomon... Uh, wrote what he saw. 
So when you see a proverb, it's saying this is the way things normally are. When Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's not saying that every kid raised in a Christian home will end up following Jesus. It's saying normally, if you've trained them up in the way that they should go, eventually, we heard a couple of testimonies today of a person, I, I gave my life to Christ, I tried to get away from it, God brought me back. Didn't we? How many people heard that? Okay, that's normally the way that will go. But it's not a promise, it's an observation. If you understand that, you can understand what Proverbs 13, 11 is saying about honesty. It says, here's how it normally goes. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Really, Solomon? Yeah, he says, yeah, I've been watching. He's also the richest man who ever lived. If you get it fast, if you, if you cut a corner, if you get it wrongly, Wisdom gained hastily, one translation says, and it's a good one, that word hastily is a bit complicated in the Hebrew. So how many people have by fraud in their, in their Bible? Right, that's a good translation. If you get it fast, if you get it falsely, it will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So up or down on get rich quick schemes. All right? You might even get rich quick, but what's going to happen? Between your fingers, slipping away, gone. Now, what's really interesting to me is, remember the chart that we had up there? Almost 30% of the 271 verses, 88 verses regarding money, have nothing to do with how you spend it, if you uh, savor it, uh, what you do with it, how you use it. One-third almost of all Bible instruction about money is this point. How did you get it? How did you get it? What did you do? How did that come to be in your possession? God is incredibly interested in how you got what you got. If you cut a corner, if you distorted what was true, if you hid something to sell something, if you took something that wasn't yours, if you dishonored, if you cheated your employees, if you took more than was your, rightly share, your rightful share, that's not honest, and it will dwindle quickly. Money that you get by cutting corners won't last. This is why gambling is wrong. I get so weary, weary of the legalistic people who are like, you know, I'm out playing golf with my buddies, and I'm like, I'll bet you a dollar I make that putt. He's like, I don't bet money. Really? Really? That's not what the Bible's saying. The reason why the Bible never really hardly mentions gambling except for casting lots for um, uh, Jesus' garments, maybe drawing straws. 
The biblical principle against gambling is you should never wager what you've gained as a way of getting more fast. That is wrong. Any get rich quick, I can cut the corner, I'll be back from Vegas in three days, watch me take a little and make it a lot. First of all, it wrongly values money because you think that somehow by having your pile go from this to this, that your life will be increased. But a man's life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses, Jesus says. Secondly, your getting ahead is putting someone else behind is the way that works. And that is unrighteous. All right. It's a get rich quick scheme. And in that sense, it's wrong. Uh, number one uh, example of this is uh, lottery tickets. Lottery tickets. Proverbs 13, 11 says that wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Uh, talk to this guy. Several months ago, he won a million dollars in Chicago, and then he was found, within a day or two, he was found dead. When they did the autopsy, he was found dead of sign. There's a murder investigation underway right now. And uh, then uh, there was uh, Evelyn Bayshore, 54 uh, million dollars, 15 a year, she went broke. But check this, Billy Bob Harrell, 31 million dollars, took 20 months till he was broke and committed suicide. And then this, William Post, 16.3 months, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Brother hired somebody to have him killed. And then this guy's real famous, $315 million. He looks happy there. That must have been during the four years it took him to lose all of it. Solomon was right. Lose any sense that you can get there fast. It's interesting, people who have accomplished something, people who have acquired something, people who have built something. It's interesting how many people look at that and, and think, Man, where's the secret trap door? How do you get there fast? It's interesting how often we underestimate uh, what it really took to accomplish something. Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers, uh, um, very, very convincingly uh, establishes what he calls the principle of 10,000 hours. And he applies it to everything from Bill Gates to the Beatles and says, you never saw this person. You never saw the 10,000 hours they spent developing a skill that then got them to the place where you saw them. And, and how, how desperately we want to believe that there's some secret door to fast acquisition and increase. That's not honest. That's not right. He who gathers little by little will increase it. You say, well, that seems hard. Yes, it does. I don't know how many of you uh, watch sports or watch ESPN, but uh, look up the program. Uh, uh, they have these 30 for 30 little vignettes. Have any of you guys seen those? And <clears throat> uh, they're really instructive. And they have one right now called Broke. And it talks about all the professional athletes who get millions of dollars dropped on them in their early 20s and how it just slips through their fingers and how many of them are, unless they can get a job being a sportscaster at the end of their career, they're just dead broke at the end. And from Mike Tyson, who made and lost over $400 million to professional basketball players and baseball players and all of the sports have the stories of the wealth gained hastily will dwindle. 
So, honesty. Honest, hard work for fair compensation assures God will provide your needs. Some questions for you. Are you tempted to shape the cell, to hide the truth, to get the deal? Are you tempted to do that? Because if you do that and you get the deal, what you get dishonestly, it's it's not going to stay. Do you pad your expenses where you work? Take a little more. Do you take payment in cash? Those of you who work especially in trades. Do you take payment in cash so you don't have to declare the income? So you don't have to pay the taxes? But your master said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And if you're cutting the corner because you think you're going to advantage yourself, but you wonder why is it that things just never seem to get to a better place for me? We're on it now. Do you inflate your deductions at tax time? Proverbs twenty-two seventeen says, you have eyes only for dishonest gain. If you're in a store and you picked up a piece of clothing, say a shirt or something, that you knew should cost about $100 and you saw that through the error of the label that it was only marked $10, what would you do? Hey, quick, get me five more of those. <laughs> would you be, do you think that that would be an upgrade for your house? To have uh, things in your closet that you stole? Is, is, that, is that, have you advantaged yourself? Do you see that God sees that? Wouldn't you, wouldn't, wouldn't a Christian go to the clerk and say, I think there's a little mistake here. I really want this shirt, but you need to charge me the right, can you check that price for me? And God sees that. And God honors you. Honest, honest. It's God's money. And if you have money that you have gained dishonestly, you need to repent and make that right. You got some work to do. You need to get the money back to the people that it belongs to. Whether it's the government or a person you used to work for. If a guy comes to your house and he does some work repairing something, and then he forgets to bill you. Are you just like, well, that's on him. If he wants the money, he's going to have to ask for it. Really? Really? Really, you wouldn't send him a check at the end of the year to get your books clean? Would you think that somehow you'd gotten yourself to a better place doing that? God's not going to bless that. Honesty. 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 Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But he who gathers little by little, little by little. Here's the next thing. Honest, hard work, hard work. I want to show you three scriptures. Please turn to all of them with me. First of all, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 spells out. After the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, God is passing out consequences. And he says to Adam, verse 17 of Genesis 3, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. What does that mean? Is it harder to till? Is it it more stubborn? Well, we see here. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles. Here comes weeds. 
It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, and for, uh, taken for your dust, and to dust you shall return. A consequence of sin is that work is uh, toil. Uh, work is uh, sweat producing. Uh, work is laborious. I feel like I want to say that's why we call it. It's work. It's work. You're like, this feels like work. It's because it is. All right. And, and work is hard. Uh, listen, listen. Work is cursed in that sense. It's part of the judgment. God made it hard. You're like, oh, I don't feel like going to work today. Get up and go to work. It's hard. Everyone say it's hard. hard. You're telling me it's hard. Now turn to the New Testament loved ones, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 2. Where Paul said this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we, I love that. Paul's like, we're in ministry, but that's not a reason to be lazy. We worked. We toiled day and night. We worked hard, Paul says, so that we would not be a burden to you. Work is hard. And, and, and ministry work uh, is hard. Um, if you don't understand that about me, you don't understand me. Before there was this building, before there was this congregation, before there was this staff, before there was anything, there was me and a small group of people who said, we're going to work hard. And people in ministry are going to work hard. We're going to work as hard as any man in this church works. We're not going to ask you to go out in the marketplace and tithe your money into the body of Christ and then work banker's hours or whatever that even means. Only bankers I know work pretty hard. We work hard. And while work is cursed and twisted, listen, hard work is honorable. You have to get hold of that. To work hard is an honorable thing. To come home tired is an honorable thing. I studied a great deal this week about the Protestant uh, work ethic and how for several hundred years uh, people have seen that one of the driving forces uh, behind uh, Western prosperity and Christianity itself was the sense that people need to work hard. Quickly, though, we are slipping into a society of entitlement where people, they believe they deserve something for nothing. It, it used to be that nobody expected anything for nothing and everyone understood you don't get it unless you work for it. And you have to work hard, and it is hard. And, and we have to come back to seeing that, look, I'm not saying that every job is fulfilling. My, my job's not great every day, trust me on that. Not every part of our job do we love. And this idea that you gotta find the job that fits your passion and is, that fulfills, it's psychobabble, okay? <laughs> That's what it is, all right? The, the, the honorableness, look, at, I understand that people who paint paintings or people who teach children or, or um, something that obviously, a, a surgeon that fixes a person's heart, look, at, I understand that when we can see our work directly helping a person's life, that there's something attractive in that. I get that. 
I do. But there's people where you work that matter, and it doesn't have to be your work that's working for them, okay? And, and just because some work seems as though it would be more obviously fulfilling does not mean that other work isn't, listen, just as honorable. And whether you're a judge or a, a jockey or, or a janitor, there is honor in work. And to work hard and to do your best to provide for your family is honorable. And we need to hold that up instead of saying to everybody, do you, do you like what you do? Are you fulfilled? In, no, I don't necessarily always like my job, but it's what God has given me to do. Scripture says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. All right. Work, Ephesians says, as working for the Lord and not for men. This is what the Scripture says. I want to show you a picture of a person as an illustration of this. This is a Ricky Borges. And uh, Ricky's been working here uh, at the church for eight years. He's a really good man. Uh, this is what Ricky did this week. Um, that's a picture of the carpet uh, here in Rolling Meadows. Uh, what Ricky did this week was he went around and scrubbed the carpet to clean up all y'all's coffee stains from Easter. <laughs> he worked really hard. And that is an honorable thing. In fact, let's rise to our feet and express our appreciation for Ricky Borges and his hard work. Come on. Thank you. That is hard work. And, and, and the idea that somehow you can get to a place of financial security without spending less than you make, little by little, over a long period of time. Look at this reference, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Just turn a little to the right in your Bible. He says, for even when we were with you, Paul said, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Don't want to work? Don't eat. I don't like to be political in my uh, preaching, but President Clinton did pass something in 1996 that was overturned this past summer, which was an, assist, an insistence that those on social assistance would have to demonstrate that they were seeking to work or available to work. In, I have no problem with helping people in a crisis. We should do that, especially the way we should help do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I'm thankful for our benevolence offering that helps people through a crisis, but I'm thankful we don't just hand that out. I'm thankful that good people in our church sit with people and say, what decisions are you making? How can you make better decisions? I wish that more people would embrace the honor and the dignity and the joy of hard work. And I wish that less people would think that you get somewhere by some sort of lucky door you found. I was digging through my Rolling Meadows office here recently and I saw a tray on a shelf that I, I just haven't looked at it for a long, long time. In it was a 
card uh, from Kathy. It has a picture of a little boy and a little girl on the front, and it says, you won my heart. And then inside it says, from the start. And then some other things I can't tell you. <laughs> what was amazing is, is it says October 2002. I just hadn't looked at that. And then when I picked it up, um, underneath the card was this. And I know that this must be from the 90s because it's typed. <laughs> it says... Uh, if I'm going to have a radio ministry, so how long goes that? If I'm going to have one, I must take time to write. So funny to think of the day. I remember these cards. I had three or four of them. One was in my car. One was uh, in my bathroom. One was by my desk. And it all goes back to uh, many years earlier. Uh, in 1982, 83, I was working a part-time at a church trying to finish college, and I was staying in my brother's attic in Windsor, Ontario, on the border. There was no Christian radio in Canada growing up, and um, I heard for the first time late at night, I would lay awake in this attic, and I would listen to Bible teaching coming across the border in this little Canadian kid, not even finished college yet. And I heard uh, Chuck Swindoll and Chuck Smith teaching the Bible in such a challenging practice. I'd never heard anything like that. And I had this dream. I, I would love to be used by God like that someday, never ever knowing I would come here, never having any sense of that. And, and when we got an opportunity to go on one radio station, I, some people explained to me that, that broadcasting and writing are like sisters. And, and people read what you write and want to listen, and they hear what you say and want to read, and that the two were, but I, our church already had a couple thousand people, which was way more than I ever thought would ever happen. And so I, I, I remember thinking, I, I've got to find some time to write. And the elders had asked me, and I've always abided by this, that I don't do any of my writing on church time. And so I remember the very first book that I wrote in uh, 1999, called I Really Want to Change, So Help Me God. And we were up at a Bible conference in Michigan, and I would preach in the morning and play with my kids in the daytime and preach at night. And then I'd come back after the, uh, take the kids for ice cream and put them into bed. And Kathy would be reading or fall off to sleep. And when I was tired, I would sit down at a computer at 10 o'clock at night, and I would start to write till 2 or 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and get up and do it again and get up and do it again. And I, I just want to give you a sense of the work that goes into something. I can remember being on vacation with our family and, and uh, with another family from the church and being out of state and where it was warm and everyone would be sleeping. We had so much fun the night before and I'd drag myself out of bed at five o'clock in the morning and sit out on the patio and type out the words to You have to get free from the sense that people who have accomplished something got a break. And you have to lay hold of the reality of day by day, little by little. I mean, I was doing those things. I never dreamed. I got to just tell you, I never dreamed. This is uh, the second book that I wrote. You might not recognize it. Uh, this is um, Lord Change My Attitude in German. And uh, this is Lord Change My Attitude in Romanian. I had no idea. I mean, praise God, I had no idea what he was, how he was going to bless work. This is the same Lord changed my attitude 
uh, in uh, Spanish. And uh, this is in uh, Lord Change My Attitude in Arabic. And this is Lord Change My Attitude in Indonesian. And we had to ask some uh, of our friends here in our church, this is Lord Change My Attitude in Korean. And uh, this is Lord Change My Attitude in Chinese. It's all Greek to me. <laughs> and and uh, everyone say, praise God. praise God. I'm trying to grant to you if the Lord would help me. Um, help me, Lord. The sense of how things really are versus how they appear uh, to be. So back to our theme. Honest, hard work. Say it, hard work, say it. Honest, hard work for fair compensation. Turn over to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. The Bible, interestingly, has quite a bit to say about compensation. Uh, Do you even know what it says? 1 Timothy 5, uh, 17 This has to do with, remember that Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy's a pastor and elder. And Paul's writing to Timothy under the inspiration of the Spirit, giving him instruction about how uh, people in ministry uh, should be compensated. But I think it has application uh, for all of us. He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. What does that mean, honor? We'll follow and he'll tell you what he means by honor. Especially those, so double honor, especially those who labor. Some translations there say work hard in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And here's the interpretation of honor. The laborer, quoting Jesus, if you have a red letter edition, uh, how many people have that in red in your Bible? Because it's quoting from the Gospels. Jesus was the one who said this. The laborer deserves his wages. Now, there's a lot in that verse. Um, Notice, first of all, uh, that withholding, uh, listen up, employers. How many people here have some employees? Put your hand up if you do. Okay. Withholding just compensation from employees is wickedness. Okay? And the illustration he uses is, uh, look at the text. I don't need an illustration here because God's Word gives us one. Um, For the Scripture says, he's quoting an Old Testament passage from Deuteronomy 25. um, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. All right, just try to picture picture, uh, uh, two oxen. Can you see them? That'll help. So you have, um, you understand it's a farming analogy. We don't have a ton of farmers in our church, but that's really dignified work. And a farmer would take two oxen and he would put a yoke on them. So they're going to not go like this, but they're going to go in the same direction. And then uh, they would uh, attach to the back of them. And generally uh, back then he would walk, but there would be like a, a plow that he might hold on to. And the oxen would pull the blade of the plow through the soil to turn it over and ready the soil for seed. Uh, later uh, in the, let's say they're planting corn. And later in the season, they would take those same oxen and go down between the rows of the corn, now fully grown and almost ready for harvest. And the oxen would pull again and take out the weeds in the soil that Genesis 3 said would make the word hard. But it isn't just the farmer that's working hard. Who else is working hard? The oxen are working hard. Now, apparently, there was a... (laughs) 
Man, quit being so cheap. There was a cheap farmer, and he was like, I'm not going to have my oxen eating any of my corn. We'll put them out in the... They can eat grass tonight. Today they eat nothing. He said, well, we can't get them to stop eating. Put a muzzle on them then. And apparently this is important enough that God Almighty said, don't do that. That, all, that animal is working hard. Don't separate the animal from enjoying some of the fruit of the labor. Got it? And if it matters about animals, how much does it matter about people? It is great wickedness to harvest a disproportionate share of the income to the owner as the business, as the organization does better. Everyone laboring for the organization should do better. That's righteous. Notice that there's a wage. Notice not just that withholding compensation is wicked. So if you're an employer and you have too much of the compensation with you and not enough with others, that's going to dwindle quickly. Notice that there's a wage that is appropriate to the work. Now, I, I pray for wisdom as I say this part. God, give me wisdom. This is a sensitive subject. There is a wage that is appropriate to the work. If I wasn't a pastor, one of the things that I would love to do is, I would love to be a carpenter. I, I just love wood and working with wood. Um, I'm curious to see in church uh, today, how many carpenters do we have uh, in the church? Hold up your hand if you're a carpenter. What an what a honorable uh, profession. And, and, uh, but I'm just going to ask you a question, all of you. Um, do you think that the carpenter who frames uh, 300 square feet a day should make the same amount of money as the carpenter who frames 800 square feet a day? But he does. That's what unions have done for us. But unions were uh, established to keep employers from muzzling ox. And that they did do. But you see the downside of it. Next time you drive by a work crew on the road and you see them, one of them working and three of them standing there, they're not motivated because they don't make more for doing more. And that's not righteous. That's broken. So instead of looking harshly at the worker, just say to yourself, that's just broken. <laughs> Do you think that the teacher who stays after hours and cares for her students and beautifies her room and teaches creatively, should that teacher be paid the same as the teacher who punches the clock? No, they should not. The worker is worthy of his wages, okay? And you need to get that into your thinking about money. Now, how many of you are demotivated in your work because harder work does not produce more? But it should. That's what's right. Honest, hard work for fair compensation. I just have to say this. This really gets into the category of things that, uh, boy, sometime I'll write a book about the things they never taught us in seminary. I never dreamed that I would be responsible under our elders 
uh, for more than 400 employees. And let me tell you something, that has been an education from incredibly hard workers to incredibly entitled people and everything in between. When we first started Harvest, I was the first employee. The second employee was Kathy Elliott. Uh, she's amazingly, her reward will be great. She's still my uh, assistant after 25 years. Everyone say, there is a God. <laughs> okay, and, and, uh, and uh, she was just a treasure to me again this week. She's a unbelievably hard worker, loyal, dedicated, committed to Christ. Our, our third employee was Rick Donald. I mean, he, his work ethic puts everyone to shame. And, and, and I like to think of, of productivity with our staff like boxes coming out of an office on a conveyor belt. I can tell you, Kathy Elliott or Rick, like Rick Donald, he's got 10 to 15 boxes coming out of his office every day. One of them was help somebody with their marriage, uh, prayed with someone who just lost a loved one, uh, uh, met together with all of the greeters to make sure that everything, I mean, just, and it doesn't matter which one of his boxes, you open it, everything's perfect in the box, perfectly labeled in its place. Like I stopped checking his boxes 20 years ago. I mean, it's just perfect every time, every time, every time, every time. That's an incredible thing. Now, I wish I could say this. That's our first three employees. I wish I could say the same about employees four through ten. But I, I mean, we, we've had people in the church where they only have three boxes a day coming to their office, and one of them has the bottom off of it, so everything's falling out. And then you go to the next box, and half the stuff's missing. And then you go to the next box, and, you know, he has his lunch in it. <laughs> and, and, and that's a problem, okay? That's a problem. Honest hard work for fair compensation. Here it is, assures God's provision. At the end of the day, we trust God. Increase comes from God. God honors honest hard work for fair compensation. Here's just a quick list of how I believe people should be compensated. Uh, fair compensation involves uh, capability. How much experience and training does the person have? Capacity. How much work can they actually do? Uh, the quality of the work. I talked to a man this week who's running a construction a business and he said, I had to go out to the job again and tell the guys, tear it out, do it right. See, uh, what's the quality of the work? And then the impact of the work. This is hard for people to hear, but the reality is, is that um, some work generates more revenue than other work. And uh, if you decided to do uh, X as a career, I was talking to a man this morning who's a police officer, and I said, well, what would be the maximum that your career could generate? And he told me, and it was, I thought, a very uh, good income. But to some people, depends what you chose. When you were young, probably no one even had any conversation with you about this. And, and some uh, things are compensated more than other things uh, based on how much uh, revenue is generated from what you do. And then lastly, a commitment. Uh, here at Harvest, we reward people who are committed. Uh, when a pastor's worked here for 10 years, we send him and his wife away on a vacation and we reward people who say, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm committed to this. I hope you uh, work in a place like that. But let me just say that I recognize that many of you are in unrighteous employment situations where you are used, where you are not appreciated, where you are not fairly compensated, and how difficult that is. 
and how challenging that is and how stretching that's one of your trials in life is to honor God in that situation. We're going to be talking in the weeks to come about what to do about that. But all of that to say this, that honest hard work for fair compensation assures God's provision. You can only do what you can do. And when you've done that faithfully, you can be confident. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was talking about, don't worry about your clothing. Don't worry about where you're going to sleep. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. But at the end of the day, uh, exhaust yourself in meaningful work. By the way, um, people say, well, how much work is, how hard is too hard? This will help. You can't work too hard. You can't. But you can work too much. The way I look at it is, is you work really hard at work, then you go home and you work really hard at home on your marriage or on finding a marriage partner or whatever's next for you. You work really hard on parenting or becoming a parent, whatever's next for you. You just work hard on everything. Work hard on your walk with God. Work hard everywhere. You can't work too hard, but you can work too much on your career and neglect other things that matter more. And if you get all that in balance, you can be assured of God's faithful provision for you if you do it not for a few months or for a few years, but so a couple of decades together on that and everything we're going to teach in the weeks to come. And uh, that's how you live, I believe, in submission to the biblical truth about God's money. Now, we have another video about a diagnostic, uh, and then we're going to go, so stick with me here. I'm happy to welcome Ron Blue this morning, a longtime friend and associate. Uh, Ron's got over 50 years of experience in this uh, whole area of personal finance. So, Ron, thanks for joining us this morning. Well, I'm delighted to be here. And I first met James a number of years ago when we asked James to speak to our advisors at Kingdom Advisors Conference. And, Brian, you and I worked together for a number of years. And since I've left the firm, you've taken it to new heights. Congratulations. <laughs> you really are the grandfather of this whole matter of biblical stewardship in our generation and challenging people about biblical stewardship. What are your thoughts on what we're trying to accomplish? Well, you know, I've been in this business for 50 years or, or more, and I've spent the last 35 years integrating biblical principles into professional advice given to people all the way from those in severe debt situations all the way to multi-billionaires. And what I have found is that biblical principles transcend everything and they don't change. Because of that, pastors have more financial knowledge than what they know or what they think that they, they have. Because biblical principles will always work, they'll never change, and they're always relevant. And I think the first principle is that what am I looking uh, for finances to provide? And I found that there's really three goals that people uh, chase. Security, uh, perhaps success, and perhaps significance. And what they think, if I get enough money, I will be significant, I will feel secure, or I will feel successful or be successful. And I can tell you this, I have counseled thousands of people, and money is never the answer to those questions. Because God is the only one that can give us significance, security, and success. And when you look to money, it's just like Matthew 6, 19 to 24, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you're looking for money to be the provider of success, significance, or security, it'll never work. Well, I'm thinking to myself, um, all right, well, okay, so it's God's money and it belongs to Him. 
And uh, but the fact of the matter is, is, is I think people are probably like, you know, I, I we, we just have goals. We don't have enough money. Like, like, is anybody here going to tell me how to get more money? Because there's a lot of stuff we'd like to accomplish in life, and our cash flow is just not going to get us there. Well, I think that, uh, first of all, you ask yourself, what am I pursuing? What do I want money to do? And you realize that income may or may not be the answer. And every vocation that somebody has is a worthy vocation. God's called nurses, he's called uh, gas station attendants, he's called janitors, he's called doctors, he's called lawyers, and every vocation is worthy as long as I do work at it with integrity, as you said. Then I take the income and I ask the question, where am I going to spend it? And I found that most people, if they're content with their income, it's typically a spending issue rather than an income issue. So maybe more, is it more accommodating my expectations to my income? Well, you've got to realize that there's billions of dollars being spent every day to make me discontent. Yeah. It's called advertising. Right. Because, and what it sells is peace of mind, security, or something. And the answer is not there. That's why I say that it's typically a spending issue as opposed to an income issue. And if I can get control of my finances uh, and living within the income that I have, I am more apt to be content. People are legitimately asking three questions also. That's, will I ever have enough? Will it continue to be enough? And by the way, how much is enough? And to answer the how much is enough question, you've got to say, what is the lifestyle I am choosing? What is the lifestyle I'm trying to fund? It's a lifestyle issue typically more than it is an income issue. So a heart issue then. Heart issue. Living within my means is a matter of the heart, not a matter of cash flow. Absolutely. And that's just critical. That's why I say pastors have the answer to the financial questions. There's 2,350 verses in God's Word dealing with money and money management. And it never tells me how much to spend, but it gives me principles. It says the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Mm -hmm. That's a principle. That's right. true. Right. Also, give it to Caesar what Caesar's. So paying your taxes with integrity is legitimate. Ron, you have so much of this in your heart. I found myself thinking, weren't you thinking, Brian? I'd like him to run through the whole 2300 right now <laughs> uh, from memory. But actually, there's a website. Tell us about the website where they can get more answers. Yeah, so based on Ron's 50 years of experience in this industry, uh, you can go to MasterYourMoney.com. And there's 350 different questions answered there that Rod's been uh, nice enough to put together. Well, and there are questions that deal with uh, philosophy and principles, and as well as some of the specific questions on why can't I talk to my spouse about money? I'm sure, that'd be very helpful. <laughs> well, we're, so far we have uh, view it vertically, um, earn it honestly, and uh, next time we get together, we're going to talk about uh, utilizing it effectively. Uh, but this week, there's an actual a tool we want people to go and work on, a diagnostic. Tell us about that, Brian. Right. So just 10 easy questions that you can work through again in 15 to 30 minutes. And they're going to explore some of these areas of uh, how do I, how's, where is my heart around earning my income? And so just hit, it'll be on the website as well. You can download it from there and complete it and uh, put it in with your diagnostic from last week. Great. So that's two diagnostics now, my personal testimony about finances and then also a diagnostic about uh, 10 questions related to earning and how I view work. It's a good start, a foundation for a lifetime of the biblical principle, uh, God's money. I want to just pray over us, all right? So let's all uh, pray, not a benediction, but actually let's take these matters before the Lord, all right? Father, we bow before you now because you are the head of uh, this church. You are the great king over all the earth, everything that is yours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we are yours. But we confess to you, God, uh, that we have 
not always gotten things the best way, the right way, and I pray that you would grant humility and courage to those who know that they have uh, in their possession what is not righteously theirs. And I pray that you would grant to them the courage not to fear man, not to fear even the loss of a job or some momentary crisis. But I pray that you would uh, help them to pursue the gift of a conscience clear before God and men. And that they would return, whether it's to the government, whether it's to a former employer, that they would find a way to begin to return what is not theirs so that we can look to the future of righteously stewarding what you have entrusted to us. Then I pray, Father, for uh, those who uh, are in difficult employment situations where they're uh, not motivated and maybe not fairly compensated, but I pray, Father, that you would remind them again this week that they are serving the Lord Christ. And even their ability to bear up under what is unjust is a testimony to uh, your grace in their lives. Would you help them and encourage them and strengthen them? And I pray for our church, Father, that you would take us further and further into the promised land of victory over financial idolatry further and further into the place of joyfully submitting to this truth that it is all yours and that we are stewards of what does not belong to us. I pray, Father, for those who are grieving over maybe months or years of bad decisions. Give us faith to believe that your grace covers choices that should not have been made as we begin to make right choices. We anticipate by faith not just all that you've done, God, but all that you're yet to do. There is so much opportunity in front of us. There are so many uh, uh, hours left in this life to honor you, and to serve you, and to steward well for you. And so for all you've done, for all you're yet to do, that's a good prayer. Let's sing that as a prayer. For So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's Word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God, and for loving others more and more until we see Him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. Uh, all the ministry information, Bible teaching, and, and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.